If you have a Bible, join me in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As you're turning there, um, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, I understand that Advent might be new to some of you. Advent is simply um, a time of waiting for something or someone. I'll give you some examples about the feeling, examples of, of the feeling of Advent. It, it can be like Abe and Kinsey, right, waiting for the arrival of the birth, right, of, of the little girl, okay? It, it can, that's the feeling of Advent, Advent, waiting with anticipation, with excitement. It could be like uh, Keith and, and Jesse Richter, who went through all the home studies to, to foster a child, and it, 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 the feeling of Advent has this, this waiting, anticipating with excitement that first child you get to bring into your home and foster, it, it, it's like maybe a groom who stands at the altar on his wedding day waiting for the bride to walk through the door and, and walk down the aisle and, and meet him there. That's the feeling of Advent. It's, it's this time of waiting for something or someone, but you're waiting with anticipation. You're, you're waiting with excitement. When Andrea and I were in college, we had just started dating and not long after we started dating was winter break. We look good, huh? <laughs> you look good. Um, so we, we just started dating and winter break came and she was getting on a plane to go back to Brazil where her parents were missionaries. So she was going back to Brazil for winter break. I was going back to north central Ohio for three weeks. And so we were going to be apart for three weeks. And this was during the time when there were no cell phones. Okay. Email, what's that? All right. I mean, you didn't call on the phone internationally because it cost too much. So the only way to keep in communication was to write an actual handwritten letter. Some of you have never, ever experienced that. Ever. That was life for us when we were separated. So we did write some letters during that three-week period of time. And it was difficult because we just started dating. And so there was this, this feeling of anticipation and excitement of, of coming back together after winter break. And so winter break was over. And she is flying back to Ohio, back to Dayton, Ohio. And I had already returned to college, and so I was going to pick her up at the airport and meet her there. And so I dressed, I thought, fairly well, put on cologne, put on deodorant, you know, had some flowers waiting for her. And I remember just my getting there super early because I wanted to make sure I didn't, you know, I didn't want to miss the plane and, and, and her coming out of the, the little tunnel, at, which at that time you could do. You could meet them right when they got off the plane. And, and so I remember getting there super early and my palms being super sweaty. And I'm just like so excited. I have the flowers, all this stuff. And I remember her watching her plane land and her getting off the plane and walking in that tunnel toward me, and we embraced, and it was just this awesome, 
awesome reunion, this awesome time to be together. And, but that whole time that, of waiting with anticipation and excitement, that's, that's the feeling that comes with Advent. It's the same feeling that came with the promise God made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. It, it's that feeling of waiting for God to make good on a promise that he made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And, and, and I want us to take a look at this promise because it's a promise of sending a rescuer, a redeemer. And, and, and this is familiar, I think, to most of us. But I think for us to truly understand the, the importance of Advent, we need to understand the importance of the promise that God made. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, her son. And we know he's a son because here God says, and he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. In verse 15, God makes a promise, right? He promises, I'm going, I'm going to send a son. And this son is going to crush your head. And he's speaking to, to the enemy. He's speaking to the one that deceived us into rebelling against God. And so God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to send a son who's going to come and he is going to defeat you. And the Bible tells us not only is he going to defeat the enemy, but the son is going to provide the way for us to be freed from our rebellion against God, forgiven of our sins, and brought back into that presence that we began hiding from the moment we rejected God. And so there's so much writing on this, this rescuer. He's going to overthrow the enemy. He's going to provide a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and provide the way for us to be brought back into that glorious presence of God. He's going to restore the relationship. And so Advent remembers and celebrates the time of waiting from when God makes this promise and the actual fulfillment and arrival of the promise. And we read about the arrival of the promise. It's the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. So go there with me. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Luke chapter 2, 4 through 11. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in, a swa in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, we're so familiar with the Christmas story that we just read that and we just go right through it. You gotta understand for like three, four thousand years, right? Three to four thousand years, people have been waiting for the fulfillment 
of God's promise. And now we just read that promise has come. The, the arrive, that, that son, that redeemer, he, he's arrived. God's making good on his promise. And then keep reading. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Rescuer, a Redeemer, who is Christ the Lord." So here you have in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, you have the arrival of that son that God promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. The one who will defeat the enemy, who will provide a way for us to experience forgiveness of our sins and be brought back into that relationship with God that was stolen and that we rejected in the garden. He's here. The promise has arrived. I mean, it's, it's... The beginning of the fulfillment of that promise is is taking place with the arrival of Christ. And with the arrival of Christ comes things, comes gifts like hope and peace and joy and love. And we're going to explore each one of these over the next four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And the first is hope. Now, what do we mean when we talk about hope? What does the Bible mean when the Bible talks about hope? Now, you and I use the word hope like this. I hope I get an A in algebra. Right? We think of hope as something that we'd like to happen, but we're not really sure if it's going to happen. That's how we use hope. Or I hope, uh, I hope she says yes. Right? Or I hope for me, I hope the Cavs win 10 games this year. Right? Or I hope, I hope this, I, I hope that, I hope all these different things, I hope I get the job. That's how we often use hope, but that's not how the Bible defines hope or speaks of hope. The Bible speaks of hope, and literally it means an absolute confidence, a confident expectation that God will make good on his promises, that whatever God said he would do, he will do. That's what biblical hope is. That's what it means. And so biblical hope is really the opposite of despair. Now, if you were to look up the word despair in the dictionary, it would define it as the loss of hope, the absence of hope. So think about this for a moment, right? Think about it. If, if you have despair, then you don't have what? Hope. Let's flip it. But if you have hope, you don't have what? Hope defeats despair. It defeats despair. But you say, well then, why in the world do I, do, do I still despair? Because I think many of us are hoping in things that aren't really hope at all. We're putting our confidence in something that has no guarantee attached to it. 
Listen, that's what makes Christmas and Advent such great news. Because with the arrival of Christ comes the arrival of lasting, permanent hope, which is the defeat of despair. And that's the truth I just want us to grab a hold of. Because it makes Christmas so important. Yes, it's the arrival of Christ. The one God promised he would send. But with the arrival of Christ is the arrival of hope and the defeat of despair. So I want you to think about it for a moment. What brings you despair? What is it? Maybe it's that nagging sin that you just... You're struggling to get victory over. Or, or maybe it's the choices you've made from your past. Or maybe it's the choices you see your kids making. Maybe it's the recent doctor's report. Or maybe it's, maybe your despair is over your constant despair. You just beat yourself up all the time like, why am I so joyless? Right, so now your despair is over your own despair. I live in that world at times. But what we read about this morning and what we see in the Christmas story is with the arrival of Christ is the arrival of hope and the defeat of despair. So no matter how, listen, no matter how optimistic you might think you are, you will experience seasons of despair, moments of despair. And the Christmas story reminds us, listen, Christ is here. And with the arrival of Christ is the arrival of hope and the defeat of despair. Well, how do we know this? We'll go to Luke chapter 2. We were just there. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Notice the name, Christ Christ the Lord. Now, why is that important? Go with me to 1 Timothy 1. Why is the name Christ so important when it comes to hope and the defeat of despair? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1. Paul is writing to his young pastor friend, Timothy, in the first century, and he says this, 1 Timothy 1. He starts his letter this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who? Our hope. Christ Jesus. This is the same name, the same person that the, that the angels just announced as the Savior. Paul says is what? Our hope. Christ Our hope. But with the arrival of Christ comes the arrival of hope and the defeat of despair. So, so, so Paul isn't saying that your hope is, is wrapped up in if all your circumstances go the way you want. Your hope isn't wrapped up in if your kids turn out okay. Your hope isn't wrapped up if you have money and savings or not. Your hope isn't wrapped up if you get an A in algebra or not. Right? Those things aren't wrong or bad, but he said that's not what your hope is. Hope is a person. It's a person, Christ. Now, think about this. Go with me. I was thinking about this this week. I'm like, dude, this is crazy. I have goosebumps right now. It's so amazing. So think about what this does. If you always have this person, then you always have what? Hope. 
Always. No matter what your circumstance. If you always have, if Christ is hope, then if you always have Christ, you always have hope, no matter what your circumstance. No matter what. Isn't that freeing? It frees you from trying to control your circumstances so you don't experience despair. Because you always have hope. No matter if your circumstances go the way you want or not. It frees you from worry. It frees you from fear. Because no matter what happens to me, I have Christ and if I have Christ and I have hope no matter what happens. Always. And again, that's why Advent and Christmas is such good news because it reminds us that with the arrival of Christ is the arrival of hope and the defeat of despair. But, but there's so much more to this. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, because with the arrival of Christ is the arrival of hope, right? So if you have Christ, then you have the guarantee of God's promises, If you have Christ, you have the guarantee of God's promises because that's what biblical hope is. It's the absolute confidence that God is going to make good on his promises. And Christ is the hope. Paul just tells us this. He says, Christ our hope. But there's more. What we see in Ephesians 2 is we see this hope defeating despair. Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, two times, verse 11, remember, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. And look what he says next, having no hope. And without God in the world. So in verse 12, Paul is reminding these Gentile Christians, he's saying how they were once separated from Christ because of their sin. And then he says, well, it makes sense. And he goes, if you're without Christ, then you're without hope. Well, that makes sense, right? If Christ is the hope, but I don't have Christ, I don't have hope. And then what you're left with is what? Despair. To be separated from Christ is to be separated from from hope, true, lasting, permanent hope. But Paul doesn't stay there. Verse 13 is beautiful. It's the good news. Verse 13, he says, but now. I love it. I love what Paul does here. He says also in verse 4, he says, but God being rich in mercy. And then here in verse 13, he says, but now. He's like, that used to be your story. But let me tell you what your story is right now, people. This is how you have hope. This is how you defeat despair. And look at what he says. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by how? The blood of Christ. So what we see here is Paul telling us, the defeat of despair and how someone receives hope. It's through Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. 
that rescuer that God promised in Genesis chapter 3. He came, was born, and then lived a ministry, a perfect life, and then he went to the cross, and there on the cross where his blood poured out, despair was defeated. Hope defeated despair at the cross. Because at the cross is where hope, Christ, defeated the one who deceived us into rebelling against God. And it's there at the cross where we receive the the way to forgiveness of sins. And it's through Christ and the cross where we're restored back into relationship in the presence of God that we rejected in the garden. And this is for those who believe Christ. This is for those who have hope living in them. And that's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Go there, Colossians 1, 27. Paul writes in another letter, the beautiful gift of the gospel. He writes to them, Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Check this out. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. If you have Christ in you, You always have hope. Always. No matter what the circumstance. So when Jesus comes at Christmas, hope arrives at Christmas. And hope defeats despair at the cross and the empty tomb. The promise is fulfilled. The one God made all the way back in Genesis. And so there's this anticipation, right? This this waiting for the arrival of the one who would free us. Free us from our despair. Free us from the chains of sin. Free us from our guilt. Free us from our shame. And he came. And his name is Christ the Lord. That's why it's such great news of great joy. Well, what's this mean then? Right? It means that if you have Christ living in you, then you always have hope and hope always has you, which means then you always have the guarantee of God's promises. Always. Well, what's that mean? Well, just start listening through some of the promises of God. Friday night, we were at the worship night at Abe and Kinsey's house, and we did a Bible study on Psalm 91, and it was all about the promises of God. And if you have Christ in you, you have the guarantee of all those promises. You always have hope. Promises like, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because there might be some of you sitting here going, man, you don't know my past, man. You don't know my past. How could God forgive someone like me? Well, the Bible tells me that if you have Christ, you have the guarantee that you are washed clean, no matter how dark, dirty your past was. You're you're washed clean. And the Bible tells me that he remembers our sins no more. So stop focusing on that. You don't need to remember them if he doesn't. 
you're clean. Man, is that not a message of hope for people that, that you work with? Maybe people in your own family, people in your neighborhood, they just live in this shame and swim in the guilt. And we have this message of hope that you can be washed clean because of the blood of Christ at the cross. And if Christ is in you, you always have hope. You always have the guarantee of God's promise so that when money starts to be thin in the pocketbook and, and bills start to come, and you're like, man, we just had just put money in our savings and now it's gone. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Well, if Christ is in you, you have hope in you and the hope of the guarantee of God's promise, which God promised, listen, if, if I'm going to take care of the birds of the air, I'll take care of you because you are so much more valuable to me than them. That's a guarantee of God's promise for those who have Christ. It's good news. You have the, the guarantee of God's promise that there is therefore now no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not disapprove of you. He loves you. No disapproval. You don't have to try to perform to get God to like you or earn his love. He loves you in Christ. He loves you like a, a loving father. And he just loves to watch you live life for him. No That's a guarantee of God's promise. And some of us, we grew up in, in homes where it's all about performance and all about this and drive and all these things. And, and that, so we, we bring that into our relationship with God and God is going, no, 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 no. When I put my son on the cross, listen, I love you with an everlasting love. You can't earn my love. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So just stop trying to perform. I love you. Just receive it. Just receive me, he says. It's a guarantee of God's promise. And there's so many more promises of God to us for those who are in Christ that are yours and that are mine. And they're yours if you have hope. Well, how do you know if you have hope? If you have Christ. If Christ is in you, you have hope. Always. And hope always has you. And so I want us to think about that this morning. And every person in this room needs to ask this question. Is Christ in me? Is Christ in me? Is he? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin and rejection of him and, and just to accept his invitation of love and hope and forgiveness and his presence? Everyone in this room, I don't, regardless of how you grew up or if you've been doing, in church all your life, I don't care. Ask yourself that question. Is Christ in me? Ask yourself. And if not, the invitation is simply receive him. Welcome him. Receive him. And when you receive Christ, what do you receive? Hope. And with the arrival of hope is the defeat of despair. But you say, okay, I still despair, Jones. 
I got Christ in me. I know it. I know that. I still despair. You're not alone. What do I do? Good question. Here's a challenge. I think the reason why we despair so often is because we get our eyes off of hope. Right? We get our eyes off of Christ and onto the circumstance. Or we get our eyes off Christ and we get our eyes on us to try to control the circumstance. And so simply, I think in those moments, the challenge is this, to just, in those moments of despair, replace it with Jesus. In those moments, despair comes. No, no, I have Christ. And no matter what happens, I always have hope. You can't have me despair. Christ has me. He has me. Because he has me, I always have have hope. I always have him. And so in this moment, that's the challenge, right? The challenge is this. But listen, if we just, if we just stay personal, if it's just about us, then we're not truly being the missionaries Jesus has called us to be. You live next door to people. You work in a cubicle next to people. There's people around your table at, during the holidays called family that because they're without Christ, they do not have hope. And you do. And so I think the challenge also is not just, yes, for us to get our eyes off our circumstances onto Christ who is hope, but for us to share hope. How do you do that? Share Christ. Share Christ. Just love somebody in a tangible way. A card, a text, a handwritten letter in the actual mail. Maybe. I don't know. But when you share Christ, you're sharing hope because hope is Christ. And listen, I struggled with how to kind of wrap things up this morning, but I believe there's some of us here this morning that are sitting in our chairs and we are so in this stream of despair. We're just, it's just, we live in it, we swim in it. And I think some of us this morning, when we start to sing, we need to come, we need to repent of that. And we need to repent of that, and we need to just welcome and embrace the love of Christ. Hope. And, and I think there might be some people in here this morning that you thought you had Christ in you, but as, you, as the Spirit is bringing to mind, you don't. And I think there's some people in here that you need to receive Christ. You need to surrender your life to Jesus and, and accept his invitation of forgiveness and hope. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate Christ, our hope, through the bread and through the cup. And I'm going to ask the band to come. And, and as you take the bread and the cup this morning, celebrate Christ. Remember that because of his death on the cross and his blood poured out in the empty tomb, you have hope this morning. Always. And the bread and the cup reminds us of that truth. But as they begin to play, I just want you to think through, what's, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now about hope, about Christ? Maybe you need to just come and maybe you need to just kneel and just repent of that despair. And maybe you just need to surrender whatever the circumstance is over to hope, over to Christ. Or maybe you're here and you need to just right where you sit, you need to say, Jesus, I believe. 
And I welcome you into my heart. I welcome you into my life. And today I receive Christ, and therefore today I receive hope. What's the Spirit saying to you this morning? As we take the bread and the cup, it's only for those who have Christ in them. So if you're here and you don't have Christ, we ask you to not partake, but we do ask that right where you sit, you ask yourself this question. What's keeping me from surrendering my life to Christ? What's keeping me from surrendering my heart to hope? A hope that's always present. And if you're here and you need, if you're here and you need to receive Christ this morning, right where you sit, you call out to him. But as you wrestle this morning with what the Spirit is saying to you, and as you listen to what he has to say to you, respond. And when you sense your heart is ready, Christian, when you sense your heart is ready, you make your way to the table and receive that bread and cup and be reminded that with the arrival of Christ is the arrival of hope and the defeat of despair.